Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Alright, here we go, it's time, which obviously for some people doesn't mean anything, <laughs> but there you go, they'll miss the good bit at the beginning. Alright, just um, just wanted to say before Chris comes up, I just got back from uh, a couple of days in, in Vienna with Jani, I left on Sunday, didn't want to miss a weekend, so um, went really... Uh, part of the reason for that was I, I, I wasn't that bothered about speaking in the church because... Um, <clears throat> that's that's limited impact. That is then just impact to where they are at the point they're at. But of course, Jan is the um, he's the lead apostle of the network um, of Life Churches of Austria and uh, also leading voice in uh, in the um, what is the the um, denomination called Free Churches of Austria, which which has now got official recognition from the government. Which is that's an interesting story, but. Uh, not tonight. So um, the point is with Janny, um, he's like, where we are in our journey, we talked on Saturday about being an ice-breaking church. And uh, we really are in the journey that we're on. And of course, my friend Janny, he, he loves it, but because we're not together all the time, he, they're a little bit back here. And uh, so we've had two extremely intense days of, um, of talking and conversing and uh, the great thing is, Janny loves it, it feeds him, he will pass that on to the Apostolic Network of Life Churches, they'll pass it on to all the churches. So um, a two-day investment with Janny has, the ripples of it are just, are just massive. So within, within, probably within two weeks, most of what we've talked about and shared will, um, will be out through the network and, and doing the rounds, which is, which is really great. Uh, it was also good that um, one of the guys there in Vienna, um, I won't give you his other name, but he's Andy, Andy is his name. Um, Andy owned uh, the biggest, most successful nightclubs in Austria and um, had a lifestyle to go with it and uh, no religious background, but, but had an amazing encounter with Jesus and um, he then, Janny found him or he found Janny, however it worked, but I'm glad that he did because he was then struggling to find somewhere that, you know, because all he ever got was, oh, you can't do that. <sighs> you know, nightclubs, you know, it, um, so he kind of was, um, was in, that, in that limbo land that what he, what he did that, that was good, uh, all the believers were telling him that's a sin, you can't do that. So, of course, the, it, it did the wonderful thing that it always does. It, it cut him totally off from the people that he could reach. So the only people he's now with is Christians who don't need what he's got to say because what he's got to say needs to go to the people that he was with. So uh, Janny loosened him up anyway. He found it interesting that Janny would say, what, you sold the nightclubs, why did you do that? So anyway, he had, an, he had one or two miracles because he owed the government about 31 million euros in tax from uh, various dealings of things and stuff and... Service, let's just call them services. Um, 
But that was a miracle. That was all when he'd just come to Jesus. And uh, the miracle is he didn't go to jail. The government finished up letting him off. They did a ridiculous settlement. Just It was like he just said, okay, if you're there, you've got to help me. So the reason I said that is that um, I've told you before how uh, Life Church and us with them have a one of the latest plants, we've got another four since then, is in um, Graz. And uh, the meeting in Graz takes place in, in a place called Rocks, Rocks um, Restaurant and Cocktail Bar, which is owned by Andy. So Andy, in coming out of that, now owns, owns a chain of restaurant bars called Rocks. Um, which, you know, it's great. They have a full bar, all the screens. It's, they're fabulous, and it's, it's amazing food, and people go and drink beer and cocktails, and, and, um, and uh, it's, a, it's this amazing mixture, mixture of Jesus and God and truth and, and Led Zeppelin and, you know, and, uh, you know, everything you can imagine. Um, but this, it, it's the best, it's the best, example of that that I've seen anywhere in the world because most people can't do that and don't know how to do that but Andy is so naturally it's just I'm not weird and this is not weird and 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 we blend this so so um he's now I was in the new restaurant with Jani um yesterday in uh, in Vienna in the largest shopping center and it's just it's brilliant so as you're listening to the music you know, one minute you're listening to you too, and the next minute you're listening to Hillsong or someone else. And it's like all this. What's great is, is his bars are incredibly successful. So you've got all these people will go into his bars. And, you know, the thing on the wall says all kinds of things like cocktails and Heineken and God and truth. It's so Heineken and God are together in, in rocks. But it was just great to be in there and see the success. And we spent couple of hours uh, talking with Andy and um, what was amazing when Andy found Jesus because he found the Jesus I, I like the Jesus that he found um, all his staff found the same Jesus so now the guys who were loyal with him who were in all the shenanigans in the nightclub are all now followers of Jesus with Andy and uh, those guys are part of the church particularly down there in uh, in rocks in um, uh, in in Graz which is wonderful so, um, you know, it's good to be part of that, and it's good to see that, that some of what we're sowing into people is, is loosening up the, um, the connection point between people who are just going about living life and the one who said, I am the life. And uh, it's wonderful. So I wanted you to know that because it, um, it's been a, a tremendous investment. And, uh, of course, you are part of the whole financial investment we have into Life Churches Austria and the growth and development of that. And uh, us being really at the core of their, their um, culture of believing. So I just wanted to say I appreciate the opportunity that I get from, from you guys to send me out there and, and do that stuff. So I was sad Chris wasn't there because the conversations were right up her street. So I had, to, I had to do the work of two, but that's all right. Well, she's been poorly sick back home, bless you. I know. So, Father, we thank you. We're just really excited about um, you and us and, and this and uh, feel very blessed and privileged and um, just ask as we continue this journey that you'll keep, us, you'll keep us inspired so that we can be an inspiration in Jesus' name. Amen.
My notes tonight look as though um, a paint factory's exploded. Um, it's, if you want to come and have a look after it, it's just amazing. Now I'll never make any sense of them, but we'll uh, rely on the Holy Spirit for that. Um, just so that I give you a little bit of a background for anybody who wasn't here last week, it'd be good, wouldn't it? Uh, but just before I, I say that, I, I brought this because I really felt it was very important to me to make sure that, that we were all on the same page. Because sometimes, you know, we can say, um, yes, I, you know, I'm a Christian. But unless you can say what a Christian is meant to believe, um, how can you say you are one? It's like if I'm going to say I'm a Buddhist, I'd want to know what a, a Buddhist and I would have to say a genuine one, not one that's, you know, come up with its ideas. Uh, so we decided that we would visit what I call the backbone of Western Christianity. And what you find out is that there's a lot of things that are not talked about <laughs> in the sense that uh, there is a, a very strong undertone of what it's founded on. Um, and then it's prettied up uh, by God's love. So God's love is great. But there's this undertone that's gone on. It's like what Anne said the other week about uh, uh, the turkey. Um, you know, God loves you, but the oven's on. That's a bit like what uh, I'm talking about here, the backbone of, of Christianity. Now, some of you will say, oh, I've never believed that. Well, in that case, when asked to ask, well, were you a real Christian then? Because that would be the belief she would have. Now, I have to put my hand up and say, I once was a Christian according to this, but I'm not anymore. I don't know what to call myself, um, but I need to also say something else. After I brought this, and again, I'll do a little bit of uh, um, recap in a minute. After I brought this, I was walking the dog on the Thursday um, afterwards, and it was like, talk about a thin place. It was like revelation was just dawning and dawning and dawning. So with every foot of walking of the dog, something else would be a, oh, well, that means that then. And, oh, I mean, Oprah calls it aha moments, doesn't she? Aha. It was like, well, that means that then. And we've always thought this, but, well, in the light of this, this means that then. Now, there is no way that in one session tonight, I can take you on a journey from last Thursday to today. I'm going to try a little bit and give you the spirit of it, if you see what I mean. Um, and I hope that by the end of it, you'll find where maybe you've lost your joy. Because I think that what's happened with me just over this last week, suddenly I, I realised a couple of things. One is where the joy had gone. And then also why what I struggled to worship before, now I've got it clarity in my mind about what the God of Jesus or who the God of Jesus is, it brings you a renewed sense of desire to worship because it's like, wow, I can worship that. Does, does that make sense? I hope you, you, you know, you're, you're getting the spirit of this. So hang on one minute, I'm going to have a drink and then I'll start. keep telling the doctor I am so thirsty all of the time oh it's all right just yeah just keep drinking yeah all right I'm thirsty all of the time I was saying to Jenny today I feel as though I'm being ignored 
Anyway, the Lord is with us, right? Okay, basic recap. The backbone of Christianity, there's three issues. Original sin, substitutionary penal atonement, and everlasting conscious torment or slash heaven. Now, those things mean, if they're accepted, and I'll, I'll go back to my notes in a minute so we can chat a bit more. Once that we've accepted that this is uh, where it begins, then this is what it means. Humanity is doomed. They are totally depraved, and they're born that way because of the sin of someone else. Therefore, this requires salvation that covers both the crime, which is the original sin, and the punishment, which is everlasting conscious torment, which, entry, the cross, which becomes the method, substitutional, substitutional, isn't it words? Substitutionary penal atonement, which is what tackles the anger of God because of the original sin, uh, which of course is all gone on to Jesus, which we all say, woohoo, that's awesome, but it's really not very fair, is it? But anyway, our substitute, and basically God demands blood payment that saves us from this punishment. That's the premise. Fair, fair enough, was that nice and clear? So we have a, 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 a problem with some of this because remember we uh, introduced a few thoughts about, okay, none of us asked to be born. Well, if none of us asked to be born, how come we are then punished for something that because we're human and we're born, we end up getting punished for something we weren't even there for in the first place. Um, there's also the fact that um, there was the uh, accountability issue that says, oh, God sounds a really nasty character by saying that even babies are going to end up being dangled over, over hell because they're born with this original sin. So we'll make that sound better by saying, oh, well, it's about when you're about 12. And, but then, oh, that's... Make up your mind, we're either born with it or we're not. Um, then, of course, there's the other issue that gets very confusing, is that we've got Jesus, who was born at least half human, which you have to then say, well, was he cursed with the original sin that the rest of us were, or did he somehow manage to escape it? These are all the questions that make this a bit of a problem. And, uh, of course, uh, you have to look at then the attitude of Jesus to children, if they were so horrible and vile, why did he say become like one of them? He says, these are the ones who are going to get there. So if they're going to get there, it's best that you guys emulate that. So there's something a bit confusing there. Um, and then there's also the fact that if we are told for long enough that we are totally depraved just because we're human, what does that lead humanity to become? I mean, you know, you only have psychologists nowadays that says if you bang a, a drum a certain way for a, a certain period of time, that person will be what you were, the tune that you have banged that drum to be. So why is it that now you've got a problem so rampant in the world where people have such a, a horrendous understanding of their worth? Maybe it's because subconsciously, even if not consciously, the story has been put out there for so very long how 
horrible humanity is. What a problem we all are. And it's not just that the world shows it, but God made it very clear. And he keeps making it clear, even in his attempt at a solution. Because, like we said at the end, and I can't really cover all of it that we said last week, because we'll never get on to, to this week. Um, even if we go with this solution, it still means that God still only sees us as vile, but he has Jesus in the middle. So there's this like, well, Jesus is lovely and I'll accept the Jesus bit, but if I move Jesus for a second, I'll go, oh! you know what I mean? That, that's the sort of feeling that it gives you. So Jesus is still only the one who's pleasing to God. You lot, you're never gonna be. So just get used to that fact. So, which brings us to why the, 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 the supposed Christians still struggle because they're still convinced, even though they feel that they've been, quote, born again, that they still can't come up with the goods to please God. Do you, do you get it? I, I hope this is, is, is clear. Now, what was really interesting the other day, and I'm probably jumping ahead, but it doesn't matter. I can always miss it out later. I was watching the TV in the middle of the night and uh, it was one of these airport programs, you know, I don't even know what you call them, uh, airport programs, okay. <laughs> no, there's a name though, isn't there? There's an airport program. Um, and what was really interesting, this guy was going around the airport saying to people how they really struggle with understanding the rules on liquids since the 9-11 stuff went, went on. And what was really interesting was, um, he was going around and he showed a bottle of water to three people and it was just a, you know, a little, little bottle. Is this okay to take with you? And one of them said yes. The other one said, because it's water, it's good for you. The other one said, no, you can't. And the other one wasn't sure. And then the other thing was, uh, Marmite, uh, no, you can't, you, you, you can't take that one. Another one said, yes, you can, because it's food. And yeah, spotting Marmite, Marmite. Then because there's baby milk, um, but this was 250 milliliters, and they said, yeah, you can take that because it's food for babies. Yes, but it's over 100 mil. Yes, but it's food for babies. So what I'm getting at is that there are all these varying rules that at the end of the day, it becomes like the church. We say that we've been freed from a law, but it's sort of constantly changing. And we have to keep coming back and say, well, are we still all right to take baby milk? Or are we still all right to take Marmite? Because although Marmite's a food, it's actually a gel, so you can't. Did you know that, Jenny? Manna, okay. So listen, this is my point, and it really came to me. So the church becomes like this. Yes, we've got a ticket to our destination. Jesus is our ticket. But will you get through security? Cracker. Now, I believe things like that are from somewhere. Let me just say that. I believe they're, they're a revelation that says that's what the church is having to deal with all the time. Telling people whether they can have it, be it, or, you know, and we're talking about the do's and the don'ts, aren't we? It, well, yeah, you can, yeah, you'll get away with that, but you can't get away with that. And are you with me? So the church keeps its job by doing what? Keeping this in place, right? In order to keep people still pleasing 
God when actually they don't have to anyway in that sense and we'll get to that later so you know be careful but I just wanted to put that in, in there I thought yeah we've got the ticket to, to, to where we're going Jesus is our ticket but will we get through security Remember that, keep that in mind, because when you're going through your dark times and you're struggling, it'll be because you're wondering if, oh, well, I did that. Oh, I didn't do this enough. I didn't do that. And it'll all be down to, well, does that mean that I'll get through? Are you, are you following what I'm saying? So anyway, we did talk about the fact that Paul, uh, in his uh, letter to the Romans, it's, it looks as though he's agreeing with this. But what we pointed out was actually, he can be misconstrued if we're not careful. And we're going to, re, we're going to visit, revisit Paul in a little minute so that uh, we, we can get the truth on that. But what I want to say is always be careful when we say, look, show me chapter and verse in the Bible that basically proves what you're saying. Please don't fall for that silly idea because here's the thing, if I was to say to you, show me chapter and verse where it tells me I must pray the sinner's prayer, you cannot do it. But we still have this idea that that's the thing to do. So don't do the same back at me. Are you, follow are you following me? Let's understand that this is about meaning. Let's find meaning. And we might have to go to many different places in the text to find the full Meaning, for instance, I mean, and I've brought it. Isn't it interesting that there's words we use in church, i.e. church, hell and gospel, that are actually not even in the Bible. But we use them and we're convinced that they're real. But actually, I can go to places in the Bible which will prove to you that, that they're invented words. So I'm just trying to get that over to you at, at this point, right? Okay. So... What we did learn was that back in the garden, if we look at the story, and forgive me for recapping like this, but I just want to make sure we've got a foundation to move on. We found that there is nowhere where it says, after the story of the fall, that basically this was a consequence, original sin. The consequences were, number one, food was going to be harder to grow, Death will be a fact of life, childbirth will be painful, and a snake was going to crawl on his belly. That's it. None of this, none of original sin, just keep that in mind. Um, and we wondered if basically what we're really saying is the consequence that comes by our choices is punishment enough. Because, you know, it has repercussions, doesn't it? But that was the question we asked. Okay. So, having recapped to that point, I need to just cover two things from last week that we didn't cover very well, if that's okay. And one was the uh, business about what Paul says. Now, Paul says in uh, Romans 5, 18, and is there anybody there to put it up for me? Thank you. Um, it'll save me having to find it because I'm, I'm rubbish at this stuff. But anyway, um, if you can put it up. What's really interesting about this, and I, I hope you see it and you'll want to jump, is that NIV? Oh, it'll do. No, I wanted NIV, I think. But it doesn't matter, it's fine. It's, 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 well, it doesn't really matter. 
point I wanted to make is this. What we are basically told here is that this is a universal problem. Universal problem. Now, isn't it interesting that most Christians struggle with the thoughts on universalism when it comes to the other side of the coin. So people will say, oh, how can you say that when Jesus died on the cross, he died and he basically saved everybody once and for all and that's the end of it. Everybody's happy for everybody to be totally depraved and damned because of an original sin, but they won't send it to the other end and say, and this is the reason, because it says, just as one, remember Adam, he's the, I don't know what to call him. He's the problem, he's the start of it all. He was the first domino, right? It says, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for who? All people. Look at this. So also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for, oh. So if we're going to take Paul, Bible at his word, then you better all be universalists. Do you get it? Do you see it? But we don't. Guess what we do? We say, ah, but people have to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus. But hang on, We've just said last week, spent hours, that people didn't have to receive the doom and the depravity. That just happened because they happened to be born. So why then does the rules change and have to receive this thing? Why isn't that inherited just like the first thing was inherited? Now, this is what we do here. We're not saying that whether that is right or wrong. I'm saying if you're going to pick that, then have the whole lot. Surely that's logic. Don't the one and say, right, you're all doomed, you're all damned, you're all going to hang over hell because of original sin. But in the next breath, don't carry on with what Paul says and said, yes, but through Jesus, all are made alive. So have you got me? We should be, if we're going to take that, all universalists because I'll tell you why if we don't go with that what Paul is actually saying is Adam's ability to, oh well it's not really Paul that's saying it because I believe what Paul is saying there is what he's saying but we are saying that Adam's ability to destroy man is greater than Jesus's ability to save him have you got it Woo! Lovely. Oh, I like things like that. Oh. So I believe that what he was saying there was right. I believe that Paul had got it right. But we just don't like to take it far enough. And, and I mean, we know the reason why, don't we? Because we want justice. We'll say, ooh, yeah, this one, well, that's all right. But not that one. Ooh. Are you with me? So we pick and choose. So where am I now? Okay, I just wanted to show you by that that, you know, basically how we change the rules to keep things going when actually we'll realise we don't have to do that at all. So what ultimately happens with the westernised Christianity story is that it keeps God looking in this method here. 
It keeps God looking exactly the same way that humans had always imagined him to be. But it offers us Jesus. And the only difference with that is that all the other gods were wanting lots of sacrifices. God only wanted one. Uh, so it was really only a, a, a difference in the sense of amount, not method. Is that making sense? So... The other gods, basically, and when we're talking about other gods, think about it, and we'll, we'll get to this later. You've got places like Rome and Greece. How many gods did they have? I'm not saying that they were real, but the Adam, they thought they were. And, you know, it was all about atonement. They had to atone. I mean, we love the Vikings, don't we, uh, James? And you see regularly how Odin... The God of the Norwegians is having to be appeased on a regular basis. And do you know what's really unbelievable? Is how many people come running up. Whoa, me, pick me, pick me. I'm so nutter. But seriously, why? Because they, they actually believed in the fact that it was an honour to give your life in order to please the gods, in order that they might have success or victory over their enemies. It was actually a wonderful thing to do. So this is not some new idea. This has gone on since the dawn of time. So, if we're not careful, we make him the same as every other god. Now, this is where it all gets a bit messy. Look at me. I mean, it's just a mess here, but right. So... The other thing I wanted to deal with is about Jesus, because, um, yeah, because we've sorted Paul, we've sorted Jesus out now, that if humanity is the problem, why was Jesus born human? You've got to ask that question, it's a biggie, isn't it? I mean, surely, after seeing what had happened, would Jesus go back to the laboratory and tweak, a bit like Frankenstein, you know, put a few more volts, uh, volts of electricity or in you know just to correct wherever the fault was are you following me but he didn't he basically said and it's it, it oh, and i'm getting ahead of myself but i'm it was made like us in every way and we mustn't get away from the fact that he was a human like us now i know we sort of said 50 percent because his mother was human but his father was the holy spirit was god the father in that sense but you still have to also look at the fact that he was, he was all God, but he was also all man. And I know that's a bit of a paradox, and we're not here to try and explain that tonight, but as long as you get that concept. So, we have to look at uh, Hebrews 4.15, if you can put it up, please, for me. Um, right, for we do not have a high priest, this is talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now in another version it said, yet without sin. And, I, and I, if I use the phrase without sin, that's really what I mean, and he, he, did, he didn't sin, right? Which is brilliant. So here we have a human that's born, so clearly this isn't uh, applying, the original sin isn't applying to Jesus, um, 
and it says here, yet he did not sin. So he's just like us, but he's not born with this curse. Have we got that clear? Can you go to 1 John 1 8, please? Because I find this very interesting. It says, if we claim to be without sin, so we've got this coming up again, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we have a little question that we have to ask. Was Jesus deceiving himself if, as a human being, he said the truth was not within him? Now, we would say no. We would say he wasn't deceiving himself. But why would we say he wasn't deceiving himself? We have maybe to look at what we mean by without sin. Now, some of you are probably going to struggle with this, but I'm going to have a go and, I, and I'll, we'll qualify it a bit later tonight. But just let me start the ball rolling here. You see, without sin or did not sin, we interpret this as never did any wrong. Now, I am going to quickly, quickly tell you, do I believe that Jesus never did any wrong? I am going to say yes, but for a different reason than you think I'm going to say that he never did any wrong. And let me qualify that. Did the Pharisees think that Jesus did any wrong? Of course, because as far as the Pharisees were concerned, he was breaking their laws. Did that mean that he was without sin to them? No, it was very much with sin. I hope you're just following me. I'm just trying to bring a logical uh, study here. So, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, he did plenty of wrong. Um, but what I was saying then that I think he was without sin, but for a totally different reason. And we'll come back to that in, in a little bit. But why then do we bang the drum that we say that Jesus had to be absolutely sinless and without sin, never doing anything wrong. Well, for me, it's absolutely easy. Because if he isn't, he can't fulfill this. So what you've got is the setting of a precedent to say that a person is perfectly fit to fulfill a model based on a previous pattern of life. So for instance, what do you get in the Old Testament? You bring an offering. You pick a lamb that's without blemish, that's got no fault in it. You watch it for three days, making sure it's not going to get sick and keel over. You know, you've got all these pictures. This is basically what the Jewish people had been reared with and understood. Then suddenly Jesus turns up and they're saying, this is he, this is he, this is he. He then has to take on the image of the lamb, which was the history, the story of what they understood about how atonements were made, how atonement works. Now that doesn't mean to say that it, it, it isn't a lovely picture, but can you see how it fits perfectly within the premise of what we're trying to fix? Do you get it? 
And the moment then we say it, because listen, this is what's been said to me all my life. Well, if Jesus hadn't have been perfect and without sin, he couldn't have been the saviour of the world. Why? Because it took a perfect unblemished lamb to appease who? God, the angry God. But if we haven't got an angry God, we don't need a perfect lamb. Oh, hang on. Oh, I know this, you could shoot me down now, but I'm saying if this is the model, you can see where we end up. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? So I hope you're hanging with me here. Sorry, another drink. Now again, I will say it again, I'd still believe that Jesus was without sin, but for a different reason, different reason, and we'll come back to that later. So hang on. Oh, yeah, I've just got to keep banging this drum. The God of Jesus, if we're not careful, just becomes like every other God that ever existed. And as I was, again, walking the dog this afternoon, I'm thinking, yeah, keep recycling the old model over and over Again, if you think about it, Jesus got poured in to a world, and, and again, we're going to come to this in a minute, into a world that was already flavoured in a particular way. Think about it. You know, if you pour fresh water into a, into a container that's had some beetroot juice, what colour is the water going to be? It's going to be pink. Now, I know that's a silly illustration, but this is what you get. If you pour Jesus into a pot that's already so religious that they're looking for a solution to fix a problem, they will make it work. And that's exactly really what's happened here. So, Right, let me go on to, no, this is going to be, well, I'm going to find it now, number two. Okay, so, yeah, and it's come off, so that's helpful, isn't it? Oh, yeah, well, I'm all right. Okay. Jesus did not come into a world full of... I think this is a, it's such an awesome revelation. Jesus did not come into a world full of God rejectors but a world full of God creators created to fix a problem that they never had now my dad used to say something which I I think was quite funny you might not think it's funny but he used to say why do people put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable and I knew what he meant And it's a cracker, isn't it? And I think that what we get throughout Scripture is people putting the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. And so we have Jesus becoming things that he never, ever intended to be. Even if you look at the word Christianity, you know, I I often think that Jesus is going... Whoever made up this religion called Christianity, just because I was the Christ, you know, called Christ, then they made people Christians who followed me. And then, they, you know, 
it's that funny thing that goes around says, and you're going to need lots of rotors, lots and lots and lots of rotors. You know, this structure that gets out of hand and nobody knows what to do with it, this strange beast. So here's the thing, and I, and I think this might help you. And we rem remember, we're, we're heading towards our understanding of what it means to be without sin with Jesus. And, and this is where we're going. But look at this. People at the time of Jesus, now I, I wrote this down as it was coming to me, so forgive me for just reading it, but it'll help me. People at the time of Jesus were not ungodly as we perceive the world to be today. If anything, they were very godly. In fact, they had loads of gods, you know, the Romans and the Greeks, they had Zeus, Jupiter, all of them. And even the Jews had their God, and I've put in brackets, eventually, because we've known from other studies that actually there were times when they were a bit polytheistic at one point, and then as, as, their, as their nation rose and became established, they decided we're having one, and ours is going to be the biggest, is going to be the best, is going to be the, 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 the most uh, violent, is going to be the most cruel, is going to be the one that everybody stands in awe of, because Come in front of our God and you are toast. You see, see what I mean? So even the Jews had their idea of, of, of what was going on, right? So Jesus didn't come to convert the godless into the godly. He actually came to change it all around. Now, I know this is going to be a struggle for some of you. But if you think about it, our evangelism today, and I'm sort of... Uh, did the opposite at the beginning, so I'm not trying to say that I disagree with him. I knew what he meant, but here's the thing. Today in our generation, we tend to believe that what we're doing when we evangelise, we are taking somebody who is ungodly and making them godly because we, we have this understanding that the world is very godless and we have to introduce people to a more spiritual, a more godly understanding. Now, that might be the case today, but what I can say totally, it wasn't the case then. And that matters. And when we talk about how we read the Bible, we have to read it as it would have meant contextually what it meant then. And sometimes we don't do that. We're really very naughty. We try and make it mean more today's understanding rather than saying, no, come on, let's get back. What, what was happening then? Right? So, in essence, Jesus wasn't just coming to even turn them to one God, which is what Western Christianity has thought was the goal. But in fact, he was wanting to change their need for a God image to a Father image. And we've talked about this before. Jesus did not refer to God as God. He referred to him as Father. And he really came to expose that what people were doing were desperately needing to create these deities in order to fix a, a problem that they themselves believed they had. Now, I said last week that we we're going to talk about which came first, the chicken or the egg. Were we thirsty because we were told we're thirsty or are we really thirsty? We're not doing that tonight, but you, you get my point. So, so Jesus came to show them 
that they actually didn't need that God figure at all. But the thirst that had been peddled for centuries, what the gods demanded to quench was a lie. Now that's massive. It's massive. And we talked about it last Saturday when we understood about the woman. She meets Jesus at the well. She has this incredible conversation with him that tells her very little. It doesn't sort out her religious questions. It doesn't sort out her, the struggles with her five husbands. But she goes away in the end saying, he's told me everything about me. No, he hadn't. What he'd actually said was, do you know what? You don't need anything else other than what you are because that's what I've come to show you that you're actually loved by God. You don't have to create anything to appease him or please him because it's already sorted. Now, that's what I believe, that if we're not careful, we miss that beautiful thought because we've been too hoodwinked in all of this. Is anybody out there? Okay. Okay. So he came to tell us that it was all a lie. He came to turn the godly into the godless. Ooh. What I mean by godless, I don't mean that that's, you know, um, a total disdain for anything sacred or holy. Because you see, that's what people hear, isn't it? Is it funny what people hear? No. Godless in the context, you don't need a deity that is going to demand of you something that pleases him. This is what I mean. That, that's, that's a godlessness. Sorry, it's a, it's a godliness. And he's wanted to bring... Yeah, I apologize for that. Tape, sort it. Okay, that's down forever, isn't it? Anyway, and this is clearly seen in the New Testament because, listen... Remember what the attitude to the followers of Jesus was seen in the, the early Christian church because of the revelation that they got. If you look at various, uh, and, and again, I haven't looked it up because it would you know, be a rabbit trail. If you look at how they were treated, they were actually treated as though they were rejecting something incredibly uh, godly for the sake of something that seemed very worldly. That's why it was the way. It was totally different. And people were saying, that's not holy. That's not sacred. That's not good enough. And basically, were, these people were held in disdain because it didn't measure up to what they had understood as godliness. Is it? Okay, thank you. Right, so. Um, da -da 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 -da. So, this is my where I'm getting to. So what we have is people then elevating Jesus because of this to the place of a, uh, of, of a, a sacrifice that still pleases the gods. Instead of actually saying, no, what we've been saved from is our need to ever think we need to do that ever again. So it's the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. You'll remember that, won't you? Remember that. 
So when we're thinking about Jesus, we've got to be careful that we're not putting the wrong emphasis on certain things. Now, let me give you a little bit clarity on that. Um, a few weeks ago, before Christmas, we were talking about, you know, when Anth was doing the thread, and he was talking about how it's interesting that even in Christian terms, we use the word atonement. And yet the Feast of the Atonement, when it came to the Jewish people, did not happen until way after the resurrection. And in fact, when Jesus died, it was not the atonement, it was the Passover. Now, why is it that we emphasize in, listen, substitutionarily penal what? Atonement, when it actually should be referring to the Passover. What was the Passover about? It was when I see the blood, now okay, you can start thinking, well, blood, sacrifice, appeasement to God. But no, blood was shed. But when I see that blood, I'm going to pass over and it's going to deliver you from slavery. Total different emphasis. But we get stuck at the fact it's atonement. It's someone else paying the price for this rather than it's a gift, and I'm going to come to it a bit more later on, that's actually for my release from slavery. So, uh, where are we here? Mm. Okay, so the gospel, uh, and we said that that's a made-up word, the good news announces what comes with Jesus is a new reality. Now, there's a little story that, uh, if I can remember, I'd love to, to tell you, but uh, I might not. It's about, it, it's a, an image that's set. It's called Plato's Cave. So it goes back to Plato's time. And uh, it's Plato's Cave, and it's basically, there's all these slaves in a cave. I'm just going to give you the basics here. And uh, they're chained up. And all they have is a wall, but because of a fire that's behind them, so the slaves in this cave, there's a fire there, it's lighting up the wall, and people are free outside the cave, and as they walk past, the slaves are seeing the pictures, the shadows on the wall, and that is what they think is their reality, right? So what we get is the story goes on that somebody manages to escape, realizing that it's just the fire that it's showing on the wall, gets out and sees what an incredible freedom there is out there, and then decides to go back and tell them all that what they're looking at is just an illusion, is not real. But then Plato asks the question, what are they going to do then with this person? And what he says is, they're going to kill him rather than letting go of their reality. Whoa, I think we have a picture there somewhere. Do you see it? So Jesus comes to say, what you're looking at is a shadow on a wall that's of a fire behind. People are free over here, but you're looking at this and thinking that's all there is. And what do they do? They say, we'd rather kill you than you take away our 
reality. Whoa. I think you'll remember that one as well. So I just now need to find out where I am. Is that okay? I don't know where that was. So if I come back to it, is that all right? Okay. Anyway, Christianity should actually stand alone. It should be, in essence, the only religion that has no religion in it. <laughs> That's like a, whatever it is, cancels itself out in a sense. But you get my drift. It should be the only thing that is not like any of the other things because it should be actually saying, no, this is where the end of the line comes in our need for deities that are demanding or we believe they're demanding this sort of thing because Christ has given himself. But like I say, I think that story is helpful because it says we'd rather kill him than actually let go of our present reality. So, coming back to this, people will say, well, of course it's not a religion. I mean, I've had that again drummed into me all my life. Well, Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. Oh, aren't things like that twee? Doesn't it drive you nuts now? It does me because I want to say, yeah, but what does that mean? For one thing, there is no reference of personal relationship with Jesus in the Bible anywhere, but we'll still keep pushing it, won't we? There's no sinner's prayer. There's so many things that we use as cliche to try and create this religion that we don't even need. So this is the glorious truth of the good news, the new reality. And as I said at the beginning, I want to worship this, not in fear or even in awe, but from gratitude. Because I'm thinking, yeah, I've got the, rea the reality that I thought was, I'm now set free and I'm living in where it really is happening. So, the truth is that I am free just to be me with no strings attached. Now, that's hard for any of us. And like I said, with the illustration of the um, airport security, why can't we take Jesus at his word when he comes to reveal the heart of the Father? We don't. We say, ah, there must be strings attached. There must be something that I'm not quite getting right. Now, like I said last week, there are things that I know for a fact that if we make choices in of a certain way, they will hurt you and there's no doubt about it. And we mustn't forget that. There are going to be stuff that, that hurts us. But we mustn't let that lead us, that consequence, to believe in some way that it changes God's view about who we are. Because he actually doesn't. I believe that Jesus, Jesus in our lives now is just like God was with Adam and Eve after the issue with the garden. He says, okay, it's a bit premature this. I wasn't expecting you maybe to be out of the garden as quick as this, but you know what? Come on. Is there any, any suggestion that he's not on the scene? Now, okay, Adam sort of 
slips out of the, the storyline, but you get, you get his son coming along and all of a sudden, it's not that God's not saying anything about the situation, it's saying he put a mark on Cain that nobody would kill him. Now, hang on a minute. If God's out of the picture now because of man's sin, what's God doing putting a mark on Cain to protect him? So we've, can you see how we've mixed up our thoughts? So anyway, back to what I said at the beginning. Jesus did die for you. He did die for you. And he did die for your sin. No doubt about it. But it's our definition of sin that we've got to look at. Because if we take what's just been said there about what Jesus came to do with that very religious, very godly society, basically their sin was their faulty God concept that led them to create things that felt would be an appeasement to get where they felt they needed to go. I need to go somewhere else now and I don't know where to go. Mm. Remember what we said about we would rather kill him you know, rather than losing our reality. I want you to keep that in your mind. So there's a question. Does the cross show us how far love would go from God's point of view? I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. You know, the cross shows us how far love will go. But I'm going to put it to you a different way. The cross shows you how far humanity will go to hold on to their wall and their shackles and their false reality. Ooh, we've got a different perspective there. So yes, this is how far God will go, but it's also how far humanity will go. So the cross of... of of those two things meeting. Isn't it awesome? They meet there uh, in, in the death of Jesus. So is this therefore the real emphasis? Kingdom principles are hard to follow. And uh, we often prefer for there to be a, a more, I don't know, power, prestige. We, we're all wanting that sort of story when actually the story that Jesus is bringing is saying, do you know what? Don't want none of this. Don't want none of this at all. And I realized as I was studying this that I can now see where the restoration of all things can really come. It's like, poof, he went, do you know that can really, that is a possibility. Because if everybody let go of whatever it is that they fight to believe that without this, I'm not any good, and we all let it go, There'd be nothing to fight over. I mean, what the? Not at all. I mean, we talked about our thirsts. It's our thirst that when a person doesn't react to us the way we want to be reacted to or do what we feel that they should be doing, it's that thirst to be something that makes us angry. And of course, that anger isn't going to kill somebody, but we know people who will over such a thing. And that's only one step removed from mass murder or war. Are you, are you with me? So if we start by bringing it here, I don't need anything. If I don't need anything, 
and you don't need anything other than us together sharing an understanding of a God concept that says, do you know what? You're awesome. Think about the psalmist because we talked about the original sin and now that when we were last week, we, we used a lot of uh, stuff to confirm that theory. But think about the psalmist that says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You think to yourself, did the psalmist not get the memo about original sin or something? Was he out of the loop with that? It's not you're fearfully and wonderfully made, but you're going to be dangled over the jaws of hell because you're totally depraved. It was no. The plans that God has for you and his thoughts of you are vast. No mention of original sin. I, I hope I'm making my, my case here. So let me just uh, move in down here. So there's a thought and... Uh, I'm going to throw it out there and you can have a think about it. Because remember what we said, this is the lab. When then Jesus said, back in that time, in that day, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who was he talking about? Oh, oh, that's a good thought. The ones with the faulty God concept. The ones who thought themselves righteous because of their God concept. See, the thing was, the people who we would have said were the sinners um, were the ones that seemed to have no problem sat around with Jesus. They didn't seem to have an issue. They didn't feel condemned by him. Everything seemed hunky-dory there. So you have to look at that and say, are we maybe confusing this? I'm talking about their time. So in order to try and just bring this to a close, I've got to find number four. And I just need to revisit Jesus and this business of him being without sin. And uh, then we'll sort of bring it to a close. Has this made some sense? It's doing all right. Okay. So how about then if we offer a, a, a different interpretation of without sin? Remember I said that I believe he was without sin, but I believe that was in a, for a different reason. You've got that. So don't upset anybody. Um, how about this? That he lived out his human existence with the understanding that there was nothing more to attain because he knew who the father was and he did not have a faulty God concept. Now I'm offering you that because if, if that is right, that will release you so much from what we have come to understand is sin. Because like I say, it's will I get through security? <laughs> you know, have I, have I got too much liquid? <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be alcohol, it can just be water. You know what I mean? See, as a man, did he have a God in that sense to need to save him? Or was he already saved in the knowledge of the concept of God which he had? Did Jesus have to attain the Father's approval? Now people will say, oh, well, it says that he only did what the Father told him to do. 
And we'll say, well, that means that he got everything right and this, that and the other. I just believe what was happening there was that he was never, he was never put in a condition or a, a situation where he ever thought for a minute, do you know what, I'm, what, uh, what am I going to do here? Because suddenly I feel the anger of God. I don't think he, he was ever in that position. That's why he said, I do what pleases the Father. I, only, I do what I hear him say. What do I hear him say? These people, they, they've, they've got a, 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 a faulty reality. We're going we're to sort that faulty reality. That's what he heard the Father saying. Got to be careful that we don't sort of have these great ideas of, of oh, what the Father was saying. Might have just been, do you know, I can't stand all this religion. Let's just wipe it out of the way. Yes, Dad. Are you with me? So another question. Was his father pleased... Uh, because his life, his humanity, remember when we say life, we're talking about his humanity, humanity, um, did not manage to taint his God concept. So all that he was going through, his relationship with the Pharisees still didn't cause him to have a tainted God concept. He remained intact Think about it. How many times in the situations you're in do you sometimes think, oh, well, maybe, maybe God isn't all loving or maybe he is mad with me. You know, the first thing that usually happens if we hit trouble, our question is, well, well maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be with God. Hello? It's a strange way that we react, isn't it? Strange way that we react. So, next question. Is sin then the belief that I must become more. And of course, we can go back to the garden, can't we? And say, okay, what was the first thing that Eve thought? I can be more, I can gain, I can gain, I can gain. So there's something in humanity that's always wanting more. We know that. We're not satisfied with just what we are. We always think there's something more. And maybe it's the reason why we feel that we need something more is because we're, we're always putting, instead of father, being our measurement, it's God. Now think about it, just the terminology. God will always be far removed as a deity from humanity. But a father bridges that gap totally, doesn't it? Because it's a different relationship. God is authoritarian, is, is, is you know, God. But a father, it takes on a, a different role. So, Next, next uh, question. Is sin my unwillingness to reject my present reality, the gods that I've set up to quench my thirsts? And, and actually, that's my sin because I'm saying I'm not enough and I'm putting these things in place instead of just saying, no, I can leave my water pot at the well, I can leave it there because I'm more than enough, yeah? So I think one more thing, yeah. So it's in my attempt to solve a problem that doesn't exist and that's why Jesus could be without sin because there was never a point where his concept of God was tainted by his humanity. So I just need to go up here and then we'll just bring this to a close.
if I can find it. Okay, so, uh, conclusion. And again, this is, we're offering this, these thoughts, right? Offering them. Um, I do not believe that we were born totally depraved. Neither do I believe that this substitutionary penal atonement, which I can hardly say, and I'm glad I won't have to say it much more, I totally do not believe that God beat Jesus to death to a pulp to satisfy his own wrath because of us. I don't believe that. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I don't believe that. Thank you. Oh, that was, that was a step forward, Chris. Come on. <laughs> but I believe Jesus came to reveal the truth about God that we had not beforehand understood and most of the, st most of the time still don't. That he's the Father, not God, is the ungodlike God. He is different in every way. And I wrote just as a, as a final thought here that I haven't got a God, I've got a dad. And my big brother Jesus was basically killed. He allowed himself to be killed. He let us hand him over to death because we didn't want our reality messing with. And that's where I feel I've come to in the context of a clarity that says, I can worship this. I can worship this. It's where I feel I can serve this. It's where I feel I can be free in this. I think that's amazing. I feel the tingle. We need then to move on to talk about grace. Because in the light of what we've just talked about, you will find that even the way that we, who feel we've come a long way in our deconstructing of what you would call something that's been invented, we still use grace very much attached to that. Ooh. Do you get me or not? Do I, I don't really want to talk about it tonight. I think we've said enough. But grace, again, covers the problem that still exists because we stuck here. So grace is a very potent thing, but it's not what we've been led to believe it is because it's now to do with this. So I hope that's left you needing to have a bit of understanding about what a, a new concept of grace. Woo! Um, but then I'm going to leave it there. That's for another time. Is that all right? I hope that was clear. I've done my best. Um, it would be good for you to write down some questions because I know there's a whole bunch of stuff there that might, you know, need um, talking about. And uh, you're going to have an opportunity to ask those questions at some time. Here's Anth. Okay, that's fab. I'm loving this. Um, it's a great journey. And I just wanted to tell you about next week where we where we head with this. I think somewhere on here we need to have something written about, you know, the... Uh, you know, the em emphasis put on the wrong syllable um, will affect how everything sounds and how, how the gospel has sounded is because the emphasis has been put on the wrong syllable. So that needs correction. I thought something as well, I didn't want you to miss that Chris said that he's very powerful, that the problem with humanity is not that we are God rejectors, but that we are God creators. And um, the problem 
the issue of creating God in our image rather than us being created in God's image has happened with this. I'm sorry, and I'm not sorry. We have created God in the image we needed him to be because the emphasis was on the wrong syllable. Now, that's what we're trying to correct, okay? It's all good news. So, so what I wanted to, to, to just mention to you about next week is, is Paul wrote in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 um, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, here's the question. Which scriptures? Because all of this has come from where? Old Testament or New Testament emphasis on a syllable, right? So this is taught from New Testament, but Paul says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But he wrote, he wrote Corinthians in about 50 AD, 50 to 56 AD, the probability is when you date it, Matthew and Mark potentially could have had some of that written, but he would not have had access to it because, you know, they were scattered around the world and he was on his missionary journeys. James had written potentially a little bit and Paul had written Galatians. So when he says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, he was not meaning all the New Testament verses that we quote to try and justify this concept. So we have to then look and say, what did he mean? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So we have to take a model that helps us work our way through this and give us, give us not a backbone of Western Christianity, but a backbone of Jesus, Jesus' message. So I want to talk to you a little bit next week about, about the feasts of Israel, which might say, what the heck has that got to do with that? Because that's scripture. And when you look at the feasts of Israel that were their celebration of God with them, you can't believe this. You can't. It's not an issue of, well, we sort of might, might not believe that as much. You can't. It's not possible to believe this when you see that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Not according to John Calvin, right? Not according to Augustine, not according to the atonement theories that have all emerged much later than the message of Jesus. You can't believe that anymore. But according to the scriptures, there is a wonderful story. And what is fascinating about it is it all begins with Passover. It all starts right there. And then there's this fascinating emergence, which I won't talk to you about because that's what we're going to talk about next week but to see how that works according to the scriptures and then we can we can realign some of this thinking then out of that to give us what i believe is the good news of jesus okay so be blessed be prosperous and uh if you've got any questions keep writing them down because we will have we will have session again a session again to to address the question but thank you all right be blessed Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.